Okay, friends, I'm here with Nataraj Chaitanya, and we are talking about the yoga of sound. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya, which, as a former musical theater nerd and music major, this might be my greatest joy that I've ever recorded because mantra and sound are so healing. And um, yeah, so we're going to talk about that. So, what is. Mantra. What is a mantra? What does that word mean? A mantra is a a sound formula or sound act that comes from the rishis or the seers who gave us the wisdom tradition of yoga. So in their experience of divine unity consciousness and their ecstatic state, there were utterances that came out of them, like proclaiming their own state or what they saw or what they felt. And those sounds contain the experience of unity consciousness. And so through the repetition of these sound formulas, we come to recognize our own um, total inseparability from life itself. So through the repetition of a mantra, this sound formula, sometimes called the sound body of God, we recognize that divine aspect or quality within our own being. So the mantra is the container for that experience. So you've shared that this was really your first, this was your first expression of, of practice when you were 12 or 13? As 12, yeah. And, um, and if you didn't hear that, go back and listen to Why Tantra, our <laughs> episode before this. Um, so how, I guess, how does that... What are different forms of mantra practice? Like one word that, two words that we'll hear, a japa, a japa. Um, how are you given a mantra? Can you talk through kind of all of the aspects of a mantra practice? Yeah, so a mantra is a, also a vehicle for a kind of experience. And um, mantras, this is kind of the most mystical, woo-woo-y aspect of the yoga tradition. And so I'm just gonna put the disclaimer out now. It's that that mantras can be alive or mantras can be dead. And just like, um, well, just like bodies can be alive or bodies can be dead. What you want is to be engaged with an alive mantra. Mm -hmm. And so mantras have been kept alive through lineage and through that unbroken, like handing off from teacher to student, you know, since they were first revealed. And, um, how we want to receive a mantra is we want to we want to come in contact with that mantra and it should feel alive to us what i mean is you should have an experience of heart opening when you come in contact with that sound um it should be in the context of a lineage uh, meaning you can like trace back you know if people practice this practice for a long time in a profound way what are the results you want to be able to have receipts on all of that Mm -hmm. and um the the method of mantra practice is what we call japa repetition and that's the the easiest way to engage with a mantra is just to repeat it and the idea is through the repetition of the mantra we bring ourselves back into harmony with the resonance of the universe Mm. And your first mantra was? And still is. And still is. Uh, Om Namah Shivaya. 
And can you break that down a little bit? <clears throat> yeah, so om is what we call the pranava. It's the primordial sound that gave rise to all experience and all things. Om is the, the vibration that is inherent in everything. It's going on continuously without beginning, without end. And it's commonly attached to the beginning of most mantras. Om. Om is also the... This, it symbolizes the expansiveness of the cosmos. Uh, nama means reverence to or prostrations to. I bow down. And Shivaya means to Shiva. And in the tradition that I come from, Shiva is ultimate reality. Shiva is a vision, an experience of the highest truth. Shiva is boundless love. And it's not a, de- a god that exists in the sky somewhere. It's Swami Muktananda taught that God lives within you as you. And so when you recite the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, you're calling to the, that vision of the highest truth, that experience of who you really are and what you're made of. And you're tuning yourself to be an expression of that. And so it could mean um, literally, I bow to Shiva, or salutations to that which I'm capable of becoming, or I honor the Lord who lives within, you know, any of those things. And um, in, you know, in... Eastern traditions, what you practice makes you what you are rather than what you believe. Mm. So like in, you know, Western philosophy, like, like we are Christians because we believe in Christ. Um, it doesn't work like that in belief isn't enough. You are what you are because of the act that you perform. So the, the actions you take. So to engage with this mantra sadhana is like what makes one a yogi. It's what you do. You know what's so interesting about that? Did you ever study the Stanislavski method of acting? Yeah, totally. That is that. Yeah. So if you're listening, you're like, what the fuck did they just say? Stanislavski method of acting is basically when you do something, your emotion will follow or your your belief will follow. Right. And that's that was the school of acting that I grew up in. If I were to ever go back to that life, lols. Um, that would be that would be the way I would approach that, and even that's the method for Japa though. Like after just repeating the mantra for some time, the mantra starts to be imbued with deep feeling. Like yes. you gain a feeling of reverence or devotion for the mantra, and they call that deep feeling bhava, bhav. To repeat the mantra with that that feeling of your it's like your heart's true north mm. when you. Um, can feel who you really are being expressed in the repetition of the mantra, that's when you know the mantra is really starting to progress. But it, it takes the act of repeating doing it. And you got to start showing up yeah. in order to access that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, uh, that just gave me like the deepest sense of recognition. <laughs> I have like a pit in my stomach in the best way. <laughs> um, so then the word that comes up for me hearing that is um bija too so we often hear bija in relationship to mantra and what is bija and maybe what is sankalpa because that also comes up with this whole line of sure sure uh so om itself is its own bija mantra bija means seed and um they don't have literal these seed sounds om aim hrim shrim klim glam Uh, there's a bunch Vam, Ram, Lam. Yeah, we go on and on for days. They um, represent whole concepts rather than literal words or elements or qualities in nature or in consciousness. And so the real meaning of those 
bija or seed sounds has to be experienced. It is the essence of that thing and it is an experience you can have. Which is also a big point about mantra period. No one person can give the meaning of a mantra to another person. Mm-hmm. It has to be felt and experienced. Like you have to walk that walk on your own. Mm-hmm. You can get like, they can open the door for you. Like when you receive that alive mantra or you have a feeling of your heart opening when you hear this being sung or whatever or it's being said and you have a but you know eventually it's your your relationship with you is your it's your own Mm. and it's in the mantra that you learn how to you know be in a healthy relationship with your own divine essence nature and so the bija is like a it's like a battery or it's like a it supercharges mantras when they're added to them or it calls upon those elemental qualities of nature to be present so that you can continue the work of your practice um so you know that's a bija mantra and they are the they are thought to be the sound bodies of the goddess they're thought to be that sound is is the the goddess the the energy of radical transformation and awakening Mm. to who you are is thought to be feminine in nature shakti they're shakti sounds and um sankalpa is just a resolve or an intention it's the thing that and it's not it's the longing of your heart that is expressed that you can come back to time and time again. It's an internal touchstone that rem- that enables you to keep walking the path, you know, which is you untangling yourself from all your tension. It's a mm-hmm. tricky, it's a, it's a tricky road to walk down. Mm-hmm. And so the Sankalpa, it aligns all the levels of your being with this deep desire to grow. And it's a source of strength and faith for the yogi. So, you know, I want to quit smoking isn't sankalpa. It's like something you want, but you'd have to peel back what is the essential desire behind mm-hmm. wanting to quit smoking. Mm-hmm. And you probably arrive at like, well, I love myself. Mm-hmm. So this love for oneself, you know, like, is the sankalpa of your, of your heart. And the idea is you don't want to change sankalpa. Everything should be in service to that sankalpa. So you would often repeat it before you begin certain kinds of yogic practice. And the idea is when you move towards deep states of meditation or yoga nidra, yogic or psychic sleep, you implant the sankalpa in all the different layers of the subconscious mind also. So you start to rig the odds in your favor where you have the experience Mm -hmm. of your sankalpa. What's really interesting about that is that I think in the modern westernized yoga culture, we tend to call and invite a different one each time we show up to practice. Right. You know, it's like, what's the flavor of that day? But I mean, truthfully, whenever I get down to it, all of my, you know, gross shit is a lack of enoughness, which is like that constantly coming back to like, recognizing all the things I'm grasping at dealing with or just because I'm not I'm not believing or remembering my enoughness and my fullness and um yeah so I've I've come to that conclusion naturally that it's just like I'm saying the same shit you know right. <laughs> I'm just trying to, to get up to the same thing and I think like the desire to send energy out into the world for the betterment of oneself or humanity is a noble one I think any chance you can, you should extend blessings out into the universe or to oneself. But the sankalpa has a different flavor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like 
it keeps you in your lane <laughs> and mm-hmm. then like it keeps you on the right track and it it helps you make the choices that are in service of that thing so that you can um be of greater service to everyone else around you mm-hmm. um so like i often will encourage my students now to to dedicate their practice to someone or something but you know if you want to offer up some kalpa in your as a yoga teacher i think it's important to talk about you don't want to dig a lot of very shallow wells mm-hmm. you know just dig one very very deep work with a sankalpa for a very long time so that way you can start to track and see results too you'll know that the practice is alive and working for you by your commitment your mm-hmm. sadhana is like a depth over time equation and most people they shift course before they you know it's like you don't plant seeds and then dig them up every day to see if they're growing. No, it takes time and it takes nourishment and it takes effort and the environment. Everything has to be just right. So some culpas like that. Yeah, in very manage- managerial capitalist terms, it's like you can't manage what you don't measure. You, know, you have to be able to measure it, which if it's constantly shifting, you can never... There is no... Um, there is no project. Yeah, Sri potentially says practice becomes firmly grounded when attended to for a long time without cessation in all earnestness. Mm. Those are the those are the components for real practice. You have to have enthusiasm for the practice. You have to do the practice and then not stop and it has to be for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um so one beautiful thing of the many that I've learned from you is the phrase, um, God is in your bhav or bhav is, a, yeah, uh, yeah, God is in your bhav. God is in your bhav. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. Because that is, whenever I practice mantra, that is what I lead with. I that's guess. a, that's a, a line from a, a devotional poem sung by a poet saint named Tukaram Maharaj from Maharashtra in India. And um, he exclaimed that in one of his like divine poem songs, God is in your bhava. And so the, our bhava or bhava is our, the, the natural disposition of our pure heart. Um, so you can try and access what your bhava is by just taking a moment to um, just consider a time in your life where you felt the most alive or the most in harmony with life or where you felt like you really knew who you were or what you had to offer life, when you really felt in flow or you felt like the fullness of human existence. And it might not be a peak experience. Sometimes it's just like, you know, when you see a friend you haven't seen for a long time, that feeling of pure, clear joy that comes up inside of you. Mm. So you can remember a moment like that. Hopefully you can access one. And then you just try and let the particulars of the memory fade away and just try and hold on to that feeling pulsation and so that feeling is bhav and bhava works like um tea infuses water our bhava our deep feeling gives meaning to everything so our bhava becomes our reality and when our mind and our pranic our energy our vital energy is very scattered we shift bhavas all the time we're like changing the recipe all the time because of the inner disposition of our mind or heart. But when you access that real bhava, who you really are, you can infuse the moments of your life with that feeling. And at first it might be like a fake it till you make it scenario, but what you, you know, our, our mind and reality is so porous 
that there's always an exchange that happens, you know? So there's even, there's a, I'm coming back to that Patanjali all of a sudden because we've been talking about Patanjali, but he talks about, you know, if you, the mind is like a crystal where if you put the crystal by something, mm-hmm. it takes on the shade of whatever it's by, like a rose, for instance. Well, the same thing happens with our life. You know, we're practicing a kind of attitude or disposition and it becomes our lived experience. Mm. And so that feeling, that feeling that inspires action, love expressed in the desire to serve, like that is, that's God. Our feeling is as God as it gets from the tantric standpoint. Mm. So God is in your bhava. Uh, when I hear that and in, and in line with the conversation around Sankalpa, it feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like your bhava is the environment in which you continually cultivate or that can, it's sort of the nurture versus nature in, in one container that like, as I cultivate, you know, like in new agey terms, it's like what you manifest, but it's like, but it is what, you know, what I decide to saturate and steep myself in from the inside. And then I'll start to mirror that on my outside and vice versa. And then my son Kalpa is the compass is the thing that helps, you know, because as you're saying, it's a porous experience that there's an exchange and there is a constant shifting. But the son Kalpa is what helps me keep graduating the environment or moving graduating is probably not the best word but moving the environment the nurture and the nature on the path right does that make sense yeah yoga is the source the course and the destination yeah and so sankalpa and bhava are on service of all three of those aspects Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like in your sadhana the practice is the other part of it yeah your the practice the feeling and the intention so lovely so i just want to steepen that but we're on a podcast so i have to keep going um so we're talking about the yoga of sound and all of this is sort of the um the anahata of it which is like the unstruck like all of what anahata anahata thank you yes this is one of our yoga blunders yoga blunders anahata anahata so anahata so what we're trying, when we refer to the, this, the heart center, sometimes it's called this in the energy body, the chakra of the heart, anahata. Yes. What we're trying to say is that that part of our heart is unstruck, but with the emphasis on the wrong That's syllable, it, uh, anahata makes it not unstruck. Ooh. So you're talking about your heart's resilience as being unstruck, like unharmable, but also there is a causeless reverberation inside of us. It's eternal. But when you say not unstruck, it means like beaten or like... Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yes. So, so anahata. Anahata, yeah. Anahata. So these things are like sort of the anahata, which is like the... You know, we can practice bhava, we can practice sankalpa without ever making a sound, and it reverberates through our being all the time. Right. So, how do we layer into that the sound, or what are some practical ways to layer into that the sound? Your your mantra is Om Namah Shivaya. What are some, yeah, what are some ways to practice the yoga of sound to layer in with bhava sankalpa? Totally. Um... Most other mammals, they shake to release tension. And we lost that in our evolutionary process as humans. We don't do it. So we have a lot of tension and trauma that we carry around with us that we don't know how to get rid of. Mm -hmm. The yogis understood this and they use sound. Sonic vibration is the way that we can shake. 
and mm. it shakes every cell of our of our being. And so mantra, you know, even at a sub uh, atomic level, particles are vibrating. Mm. That's vibration is the essence of everything, and that vibration is an expression of love, and so are the mantras. That that's the idea. They're these like. Um, expressions of love as ultimate reality so you can chant a mantra out loud or you can feel the mantra as pulsation as the expression of your heartbeat or your breath you can sync the mantra up with breath um, you can just repeat it at a, at, silently internally at a rhythm that's comfortable for you um, but the idea is that we're tuning ourselves to come back into harmony with the resonance of life, the kind of eternal symphony that the galaxy is playing, the cosmos are playing, and we're a part of that. And when we suffer, we're out of tune. And so mantra is a way to address that at the level of the mind and the heart. And so we bring the mind heart back into tune with the beautiful music, God's music, that we're a part of. Hmm. And is, is this specific to Sanskrit and sound? Yeah, I mean, the idea is because of the way that these mantras were revealed or discovered, they contain enshrined within them that experience of unity. Mm. Whereas normally we use our words to categorize, analyze, critique, and judge. They create more separateness. You know, they help us make sense of the unknown. But the idea behind Sanskrit mantra is unity is enshrined in them. So you can't get you can't get to love through hate in the same way you can't get to unity through separating. Mm. And so normally we use language in a kind of divisive way. And that's not the nature of Sanskrit mantra. There are other um and Sanskrit itself is not a literal meaning-based language, it's a vibrational-based language. So um a lot of wisdom traditions from different uh esoteric paths will use some kind of sound formula or chanting um and the idea is that they have that also have that ability to carry you back to unity but if you ask me i don't think english has that has that uh, capacity Hmm. um you mentioned earlier that a mantra can be dead or alive and you had mentioned like um that that is that is a construct of lineage like a lineage will keep one alive versus like yeah and same as languages a dead language or an alive language um what are some examples of other than om namah shivaya what are some examples of living mantra uh om namo bhagavate vasudevaya or um the maha mantra hare krishna hare krishna 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 hare 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 rama hare rama 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 hare hare um and, you know, there, these are kind of open secrets uh, that these kinds of mantras are. And some of them, you know, like they have been chanted nonstop since they popped up on the scene. But when you receive it from a teacher who it's really, they've done the work, um, it's an empowerment. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the diksha, the initiation into a practice or a mantra, is it's your flame is being kindled from someone else's. Mm. And so one lamp lights another. And that's the, that's the way that real change happens. You know, we light each other's lamps. And that's, that's the heritage of yoga, is that kind of lighting of one lamp from the next. So 
um, you know, like the Gayatri mantra, classically you had to be initiated into and is only available to just men, but um, the famous Indian saint Anandamayima began initiating women into Gayatri mantra, and then people took issue with it, and people wanted to, you know, give her shit about it, and they went to the Hindu pundits, like the people who comment on the Vedas, etc., like who are the protectors of Hindu dharma, and they asked, like, can she... <laughs> Can she be, you know, giving his mantra to women? And they said about her, Ma is Shastra. Ma is scripture, they mm. call her Ma. So the idea is through the lineage, the scriptural tradition, the wisdom is kept alive. It's about our own humanity, our own humanness. It's not just some book. You know, you can't just get a mantra out of a book and just pick it up. It doesn't work like that. It's about us coming into the fullness of what it is to be human. And so that has to be done in a human way. Mm. My last question would be around that, the receiving of mantra and then just the tricky slope of, because the Gayatri mantra has been criticized that, you know, in the West, people have started just using it colloquially and that it um, has not been used in great um sanctity i guess and and with the reserve that it should and being a white person practicing and teaching yoga i often feel you know nervous about my own unaware bias or whatever and so i think mantra brings that up a lot because we're chanting a language that necessarily wasn't gifted to air quotes white people how do you how do you feel about that? How does that translate in your life, et cetera, et cetera? The great beings who keep these wisdom traditions alive, like when especially when a you know a bunch of them came from India to the West, they were so adamant about Sanatana Dharma, this eternal wisdom be belonging to everyone. You know, like they initiated Americans into monasticism. They empowered them to be gurus. Um, when things are treated with reverence, with respect and love, the potency of those things only grows mm. and it's never diminished. Now, when you treat things as objects, when you treat people as objects, cultures as objects, there can be no flow of love. The shakti, the energy or power that they have is diminished. So when we can engage with things in a loving, reverent way, the power that those practices have to untangle us and uplift the quality of the planet only rises. Mm. And I was instructed very clearly by my own teachers, you know, to to chant these mantras, to do these practices, because they want us to wake up. Life wants us to wake up. And like, I take a lot of refuge in this idea that like grass grows through concrete. You know what I mean? Like nature always finds its way. And us coming into contact with this exquisite tradition of yoga is nature waking up to itself. Like we are the yogis, are the, are the grass growing through concrete. Like the heart is longing to be known and there's a way, a means to do it. And it's mantra. And so, you know, with respect and love, engage with them. Mm -hmm. They want you, those, that aspect of consciousness, 
that divine essence that you are wants you to do it so that you can feel just how how wonderful you are (laughs) um i i lied this that wasn't my last question thank you for that eloquent explanation um some ways that i've found you know practicing mantra one is studying with a teacher which i've can't recommend enough to practice with Nataraj Chaitanya and to do the work with him. Um, another way to, you know, like a gateway drug of it, if we will, is Kirtan. Yes. So kirtan. can you talk a little bit about Kirtan? Yes. So, um, oh, we talked about everything vibrating in the universe. And the reason why everything is vibrating is it's trying to come together. Everything's trying to come together. And it's everything is motivated by love. And the practice that reflects this, this longing to come together out of love, is kirtan, sometimes called namasan kirtana, the singing of the name. And so the universe exists in a call and response uh, fashion, cause and effect. And so when we chant mantras out loud in a melodic way in call and response, we're affirming our place in that cycle of life that we are. Mm. And so we... um, chant the ancient names of God or qualities of consciousness that exist within us and we allow ourselves to be swept up in that exchange and it's done in this call and response way because it's so easy to forget who we are it's so easy to fall into remembering and, and forget our true nature and the idea is the person or the group of people leading the chant they are there to remind you and then once you remember once you receive that sound and that vibration then you have something invaluable to offer back, right? We're all, Baba Ramdas says like, we're all just walking each other home. It's just, that's the essence of Namasavakirtana. It's we're offering love back to itself time and time again in this continual way. And it's an ecstatic practice. It's one of the main vehicles for which mantra to be transmitted in. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, shy of like a more formal initiation or diksha, uh, this this is one of the main ways that you can feel mantra come alive for you as a practitioner. Okay, in that light, I remember the first one I went to, I was scared shitless. I was like, what do I wear? Do I sing? Do I just sit there? Could you give like a very modern, like, you know, three expectations to have or not to have, or like way to engage? Like if it's your first time to ever go to a kirtan, what to expect? That kind of thing. Yeah, it just... Um, one, read the room. <laughs> read the room. Always read the room. Acting taught me that. <laughs> read the room. Um, it depends on where the set and setting of where you're having kirtans. So if it's in a more formal environment, like an ashram, say, you've been invited to an ashram or a meditation center, sometimes it is still customary that men will sit on one side and women on the other. At yoga studios, that is never the case. Um, so, you know, like, pay attention to the room around you. Does it look to be gender segregated? If it does... You know, sit in the appropriate place where you identify, you know, mm. um, it, I would dress in a, a yoga attire is generally yoga, physical postural yoga attire is usually not thought to be appropriate unless it's in a yoga studio, in which case the dress code is a little more lax. Mm. But, you know, I would wear something that you're comfortable sitting on the floor in, uh, that you don't have all your, all your bits hanging out <laughs> and, um, sing. You know, a group will lead the chant and the, or one person will lead the chant sometimes and then everyone else will respond. Your idea, the idea is just respond and return the same flavor or bhav 
that the person leading the chant gave back to you. Mm -hmm. It's as much of a practice of listening as it is of making sound. It's being receptive and then expressing. Mm -hmm. And if you find yourself um, intimidated, you can just listen. It's totally fine. And, um, you know, sit in the back if you first first show up and you're kind of nervous. Or um, bring a friend. And uh, it's an it's an incredibly loving, moving practice, and it's a, it's it's said that in India, this is the practice that broke open the storehouse of universal love. Mm. This is a revolutionary practice that made the chanting of mantra accessible to everyone. So this is a practice that is accessible to anybody. I love it. If you have the opportunity to go to a kirtan, I think that's something that, especially in the Midwest, is just is just gaining popularity and visibility yeah. i would say so if you're listening and you see one listed go and um i can say that as a newer practitioner of it that it is an ecstatic wonderful welcoming practice that everyone should experience yeah and just open. be open to what you feel when you're there sometimes you might start crying or laughing or dancing dancing or what just be open like let the spirit move you love it any last words on the yoga of sound for this episode? No, I think maybe a mantra, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is a, a mantra for, um, for healing so that we can receive the nourishment of our uh, own life. It's called Mahamrityunjaya Mantra, the death conquering mantra. Om Trayambakam Yajamahe Sugandim Pushtivardhanam Urvarukamiva Bandhanam Mrityur Mukshiyatmam Vritat